Let me give you a little bit of an update as we get started today on some things that have been happening recently. You know that we have been making a push toward Give Joy to the World, our project to give clean water wells to the people of India, and along with that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we've been involved in that, and I gave you a bit of an update last week to let you know where we were. We kind of had this goal out there of 10 wells, and that would have been $65,000, and as of last week, we kind of were finishing up the project we were at 62.2. And so I just threw that out to you and just said, if the Lord leads you, maybe you can help us get to that 65 number. Well, as things would have it, the Lord led you. And uh, we didn't only get to the 65,000 number, we got to 69,000 through the generosity of the people of Pathway, which means those 10 wells we've been praying for are accomplished and those are going to be done in this year to come. Yeah, absolutely, please go ahead. Of course, you realize that means we're only 2,500 away from an 11th well. (laughs) We we could keep going with this, and I'm just teasing you about that, but uh, I'm just so thankful for your generosity, for the heart that you have to make a difference in the lives of the people uh, around our world, and I do thank you for that. I thank you also as we were striving coming into the end of the year to end the year strong in, uh, in our giving so that we wouldn't hamstring anything going forward. Forward, and you also provided generously there, and we ended the year in the black, and we're set up well for moving forward into this year that's to come, and that again, in this pandemic year, right, that we've come through, and the people of Pathway have been generous. You've been listening to, to God's leading, and, and you've responded, and I just want to say uh, my deepest thanks to you for the way that you continue to move things forward here at Pathway and in the ministries that we're all about. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your leading, for your guiding, for you giving us the opportunity to do so many things that are so vital and that are so important, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the people of Pathway who have just responded with such amazing generosity. And Lord, that just moves my heart. I know that moves your heart as we together seek to just be obedient to what you're calling us to do. And Lord, we pray that we would do the same as we open your word and as we listen to what it is that you would communicate to us through your spirit. We want obedient hearts. We want to grow. We want to move forward in where you would take us. So open our minds, our hearts in these moments. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a little story that's been around for a while, and maybe you've heard it, and if you have, I apologize, but I think it bears repeating, especially as we think about the topic that we're going to be addressing today. And I'm told that it's a true story. Whether it is, I don't know, but uh, that's what I was told. It's about a woman who was traveling through an airport, and she was between flights, and she was hungry, so she went to one of those little convenience stores you find in, in the airport that charges you 10 times more than something's worth. You know what I'm talking about, right? And she bought a little pack of cookies, And she went and she sat down at a table and she opened up her laptop and she was doing a little bit of work while she was there. And it was a busy airport at the time and so other people were sharing her table and and that was okay with her. But pretty soon she heard a little bit of rustling and she kind of saw out of the corner of her eye that there was a man sitting at the table with her and the rustling was him opening up her package of cookies and eating one of them. And she was pretty stunned by this, and she wanted to send a message, so she reached over, and she took one of the cookies and ate it herself. And 
couple of minutes went by, and pretty soon she heard some rustling again. She looked over, and he ate another one of her cookies. And so she wasn't going to be outdone, so she reached over, and she grabbed one of the cookies, and she ate it after glaring at him. And she was flabbergasted by the whole thing. She couldn't imagine why he would do this, and she was going to say something, but then thought, well, I better not say anything because she was afraid of what she might say. And so she didn't. And pretty soon, it was down to the last cookie. And she couldn't believe it, but he took the cookie and he broke it in half and he pushed half over to her and he ate the other half and then got up and went on his way. And she was fuming. She was so angry. She went to her gate. She waited for her, t- for her flight to be called. It was called. She walked over to the gate to get on. She reached inside her purse to get out her ticket and was horrified to find her unopened package of cookies. <laughs> I love that story. I love that for many different reasons. One of them, because of the indignation that this woman felt toward the man, was actually indignation that was going against her, right? Everything that she believed was true about him was actually true about her. It's one of the reasons. I also love the man's reaction in this story. This guy most definitely took the high road. There's no doubt. I mean, he could have gotten up angrily and grabbed what was left of his cookies. He knew they were his and stomped off if he wanted to, but he didn't. He took the high road. It could have been a very volatile situation, and he took it and he diffused the whole thing. And it turned in instead to a demonstration of kindness and selflessness because he took the high road. Today we're going to be talking about taking the high road, specifically as it relates to a passage of Scripture that we have come to that we are going to be studying and taking a look at today. The truth is that we all find ourselves in situations where we feel offended or dismissed or misunderstood. And it's not just about cookies. It's about so much more than that. It might be that somebody at work did something that that they took credit for something that you had done, and oh, that just burns you. Or it might be that somebody lied about you, or they lied to you, and everything in you just wants to get back at them, to get revenge, to give them a dose of their own medicine. And maybe you've gone ahead and given in to that urge, and you know that it feels really good for a moment. (laughs) in the short term, but it doesn't last. Not really, because revenge always leads us to a place of weakness, actually, in the long run. Revenge always ends up depositing us in some place that isn't helpful. It doesn't make us feel proud. It makes us feel just the opposite. One one philosopher said, before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Interesting. Revenge rarely, if ever, has a winner. But taking the high road always has a winner. At least the person who's walking the high road, and the chances are very good, it's also providing a win for the other person, the other party in the circumstance as well. That's what we're going to see in the passage that we're going to take a look at 
today in 2 Corinthians. And I would invite you to go ahead and take your Bible, your Bible app, whatever you've got, and and open up to 2 Corinthians. If you haven't found out or you don't know or you're brand new to the Bible where 2 Corinthians is, you can look in the table of contents or you can just search it on your Bible app. Or if you know the New Testament or you at least know where that is in the second part of the Bible, this is the eighth book or the eighth letter into the New Testament, about a third of the way through. You can, you can find your way there to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be starting in chapter 1 and verse 12 today. We've just started a sermon series where we're taking our look through this letter of 2 Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul. We're calling it Strength and Weakness. And the reason we're calling it that is because throughout the course of this letter, we're going to see that Paul himself or the people of Corinth are, are in a situation that you would consider to be weakness, where things are not going for them as they might desire for them to go, and they feel in this position of weakness, but they're not stuck there. They've got the opportunity to overcome, the opportunity to experience a strength that comes to them that's actually magnified and seen to be that much greater because of the weakness that they started from. And the chances are that you yourself have some position of weakness that you walk in or will be experiencing or an area where you know that you're not rising above as you might, but there's a strength to be found. We're going to see that as we make our way along, and we see that certainly in Paul and in the, the people of Corinth here as Well, there is this strength to be found in weakness. Last week we talked about the fact that there was a comfort. That was the strength that could be found in the midst of crisis, which was the weakness. Comfort in crisis, we talked about last week. If you weren't with us for that inaugural message of this series, please go back and and find that online and you can catch up with where we are. Today we're going to be talking about the strength that is the high road. The strength of taking the high road. Now, the Apostle Paul here in this passage helps us out with this. He actually gives us some some key steps to getting on the high road and walking the high road. It's very important that we look at this because it provides also for us a path to get onto the high road if we can learn these steps and take them for ourselves. And so let me point out what these are for us all. The first vital step is this, to prioritize godly character. This first step of walking the high road, prioritize godly character. Last week we saw that Paul was facing a number of crises in his life and ministry, and some of that was coming from the people of Corinth against him. Some of it from the church in Corinth against Paul. Some of it came from false teachers who were there in their midst and had been stirring the people up. They claimed that Paul's message wasn't reliable or that Paul himself couldn't be trusted. These are the accusations that are being brought by these false teachers and it's starting to to worm its way through the people there in the church. And it's a real problem and Paul knows it's a problem. And so he writes this passage to try to clear some of that up, not just because he's concerned for his own name. In fact, primarily he's not concerned for his own name, but here's the thing. He knows that if he gets dismissed, that his message is going to be dismissed also. And that's the thing that really troubles Paul, is because his message must not be dismissed, because his message is that of the gospel, And if they're going to dismiss the gospel, then the whole basis of what the church was built on, the whole basis of what Christ has done is going to be dismissed from Corinth. He couldn't have that. So he needs to do something. Also has to do with the cross. That's his message. The power of the cross and 
Jesus' glorious resurrection. The stakes are too high to not do something in this. So it's not that he's working for his own personal benefit, but for the benefit of the message of Christ. So in this passage, we find him trying to set matters straight and clear up some misunderstandings and misrepresentations about his actions, about his motives, and about his character. So let's take a look at it. Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we start for today. It says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. Paul is saying that he's being completely forthright with them. He says, my conscience is clear. He says, I'm not trying to write you anything you're not going to understand. I'm not trying to hoodwink you. I'm not trying to, to twist words at all. I'm not trying to manipulate you in what I'm saying. I'm coming just straight at this with plain language, he says, saying his motives have not been for personal gain or for benefit. He's serving Christ. What we're saying here, he's taking the high road of prioritizing godly character. But you know, this passage is just dripping with irony because the very accusations that are being made against him are actually the things that are true of his accusers. They're the ones who are acting with this worldly wisdom. They're the ones who are acting with worldly motives for their own gain and for their own purposes. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul, even though there's no foundation in these accusations that are being made about him, he considers them anyway. He stops to ask himself whether or not there's any truth in the things that are being leveled against him. He's doing this self-examination. See, he considers what they have to say. In verse 12, he says that it's out of his conscience, it says, that he can testify to his actions and his attitudes. He's asked himself, is there any truth to what these people are saying? This is such an important thing for us to do ourselves, that when an accusation comes against us that we might consider, is there any truth in this? Now, that's not the first thing you're going to want to do. The first thing you're going to want to do is maybe to just dismiss what's been said or dismiss the person who's said it against you or to defend yourself or to get even with them or to tell them to go suck an egg or something. We all respond differently right? That's what we might want to do, but it's always good to take a look internally and ask yourself, is there any truth to what's been said? Even if you know that, that the totality of what they have said isn't right, oftentimes there's a seed. There's something. There's a little something there that we can learn from and we can grow. Our temptation is, hey, 95% of what they've said is wrong, so I'm just going to throw the whole thing out. They shouldn't have ever said that, and maybe not, but it's still an opening, an opportunity for growth. That's what Paul's doing. That's why it talks about him responding out of his conscience, because he's evaluated what's gone on there. So Paul's responding by taking the high road. Look in verse 14. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is beautiful. I love this controlled way that Paul is responding here. He doesn't call them fools or con artists or or dweebs or anything else. He says that, you guys, you know what? You know some of the story. He's not saying, 
You've offended me in all these ways. He says, you know some of the story. I look forward to filling in the gaps for you so that you get the whole experience, the whole understanding, so that we can experience the unity and fellowship that God would intend for us to have with one another. That's beautiful. It's a very controlled way of responding when so often the temptation would be, I'm going to get you because of what you said to me or what you said about me. That's not how he responds at all. It's a perfect response because Paul's purpose wasn't to bury them under, it was to win them over, and not to him, but to Christ. So he takes the high road by prioritizing godly character and behavior. And as a result, what we see here is that the Corinthians are able to respond favorably instead of get defensive. This is so important. This is just a principle that's out there. That when somebody comes at you, so it's so easy to just sort of close down and not pay any attention to what they have to say. Has that ever happened to you? How about when you say something to somebody else, you see them close down? That's a problem. Paul here is taking a different approach. He's taking the high road. And because of that, he's setting the stage so that these people just might listen to what he has to say. This is important for us. Even if you have a valid point, if you say it in such a way that's incendiary, that sort of language, that sort of behavior, it's just going to close down the whole situation. And we see this happening so much in the world around us. I think this is one of the main problems that we have when it comes to political rhetoric or when it comes to race relations in our country today. That even though there are good things that are trying to be said, that the way that they're being said is just shutting down the conversation. So there never is a conversation. And it's just everybody getting more and more entrenched in their own point of view and the the way that they see it. And that's why there continues to be such tension. We need to back down from that. That actually is one of the reasons that I so much respect Martin Luther King Jr., whose birth we remember and celebrate. We celebrate his work and his life here this weekend. Maybe you have a day off. Well, good for you. That's great. But let's not pass by the reason that you have that day off or what this is really all about. Out of his commitment to Christ and his Christian principle, he was able to speak hard truths in a way that actually fostered unity instead of division. Now, did everybody follow through with what he was calling? Definitely not. We know that. But he spoke in such a way that opened up a door of opportunity. And many people did walk through it. And we can be grateful for the progress that has been made. There's so much more to do. But we can be grateful for what has already been done. A Baptist pastor. What I'd encourage you to do on this weekend is that you would actually read something from Dr. King. A speech a sermon. You know what you're going to find in those speeches? Not just the sermons, but the speeches? Scripture. He's going to lay it out there for you. And he's going to take and apply the words of Jesus into our lives. And for many of us, we've probably never read much, if anything. I'd encourage you this weekend to take that step. Maybe as I have a dream speech, it wouldn't take you very long to read that at all. Or one or the other. Or listen to a sermon. Or something. And let us especially not be ones who who choose to dismiss 
others. Let us, through humility, ask ourselves what is really being said. And let us consider the way that we're saying it. Not so that we might make our point, not so that we might be able to score our victory. Not that we'd be able to put them in their place. Because we're having no influence. And we're just going to continue on this cycle. It's going to perpetuate itself over and over and over again. And Paul, 2,000 years ago, helped us over this. We need to learn it. We need to take those steps. Taking the high road will prioritize godly character. That we'll be able to humble ourselves. Taking the high road means that we won't speak with incendiary language, but rather we'll seek to bring unity and draw people together, whatever their differences. Taking the high road prioritizes godly character. Also, secondly, it means to pursue the greatest purpose, the highest purpose. Paul, having expressed his heart and ministry priorities, goes another step with the Corinthians to, tell, to try to help them to understand his actions and his intentions. What was actually going on? What's been going on for him that they're not quite understanding? And at the center of the accusations against him was that he doesn't keep his word. So he tries to clear it up. Verse 15, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I, when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? In other words, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do that instead? That's what he means by that. Now, believe it or not, one of the biggest charges against Paul was that he changed his travel plans. All of this is going on because Paul changed his travel plans. That's one of the biggest charges here. The original plan was for, for him to sail to Corinth. You can see it on the map. That he would sail to Corinth, and then once in Corinth, he would spend some time with the people there, with the Corinthians. And then he would travel north from Achaia into Macedonia. He's collecting an offering along the way that he's going to take to Judea ultimately for the poor people in Judea and Jerusalem. So he's going to go from Achaia up to Macedonia, back down to Achaia again, where Corinth is. He's going to spend some more time with them, a second visit, and then hopefully they will send him joyfully on his way on the ship to Judea, back to Israel. But his plans changed, so he wasn't going to be able to make both of those stops. And for that, Paul's antagonists say, well, if he can't be trusted to stick to his travel plans, we can't trust any of his message. It would be a lot like saying, well, Pastor Jason couldn't decide if he wanted to play the D chord or the B minor chord. They're both related, you know. And so we should never let him preach again. It's like, come on. And if this seems to you like a bit of an overreaction, either to Paul or to Pastor Jason, you're absolutely right. So then what is up with this reaction? Good question. So glad you asked. We know that Paul made a visit to them previously that he describes as a painful visit. And the reason it was a painful visit was because he had some hard truth he needed to communicate to them because they were sinning. They were doing all sorts of evil things that they ought not to be doing. And so he went to them and said, this has got to stop. Now, how do you think they felt toward the guy who's telling them they're living in sin? Not great. 
They didn't appreciate the fact that he was there telling them that they needed to change. Even though they knew that they needed to change, he didn't like the fact that they were telling them to do so. So if they can discredit the one who's bringing the charge, then they can discredit the charge that's being brought. Make sense? Right. And so they're working to discredit him, and the thing right in their face is, well, he didn't come to us when he said he was going to come to us. He changed his travel plans so we can dismiss the fact that he also thinks we're living in sin. That's what's going on. And we can do this very same thing. We can fall into that same trap. We hear something that might convict us, and we start looking for ways to dismiss the conviction, and anything's on the table. Maybe we heard something negative about the messenger. Maybe we know that there's some sort of flaw in their character. Maybe, maybe they're from a different church. (laughs) I was in a meeting once, not here. I was in a meeting once where somebody actually said, I'd give more weight to their argument if they weren't Presbyterian. And I'm like, what? I, I, I sincerely hope that they were kidding, but I don't think that they were. See, we'll take anything at all to dismiss something that makes us uncomfortable. And if we can dismiss their, I don't know, the, the ability of them to speak into our lives, then we can appease our conscience, which does us no good whatsoever, because all it does is it justifies us in our own sin instead of moving toward righteousness. Paul's change of plans wasn't a big deal at all, but as Paul continues, he puts things in perspective by highlighting what would be a big deal if it did change. And that's the message of Jesus Christ, verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that his change of plans is inconsequential, but what would be critical is if the message of Christ changed. If Paul had come on the scene or if he had written to them, if he had had changed the message of Christ, if he had said, yeah, I know that I told you when I planted the church that Jesus is the Son of God, but don't take that so literally. Or if it was, you know, we talked about how the cross can, can atone for the sins of mankind through Jesus' death upon it. Well, It's not as effective as I suggested to you the first time. Or that whole bit about Jesus coming again, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just not so sure. That would have been a big deal. That would have made all the difference in the world if that's what Paul's message had changed too. But Paul and his companions were not preaching any such thing. In fact, they were affirming the established truth about Jesus and the promises that he made. He says, they are all yes in Christ which just means they're all true. They're all going to happen. They all can be relied upon. They're all authoritative. Those are the greatest purposes of all. And Paul is telling them to take the high road by pursuing those. Stop pursuing all this pettiness. Give your attention to that which really matters, he's saying. The greatest purposes, pursue those. Is where he's trying to get them. 
And then there's one more key to taking the high road, and it's to promote the benefit of others. So Paul's just given us some insight into the actual circumstances behind his change of plans. Then he gives us actually the reason for it as well. Very informative. Verse 23, he says, I called God as my witness and staked my life on it. He's vowing that what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. And I can't think of a way to say it much stronger than that. I call God as my witness and stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. Then going right on into chapter 2 and verse 1. And this might be the best place to just acknowledge again that the chapter and verse divisions that we have in the scriptures are not put there by the authors themselves. They just wrote the letter as you'd write a letter. I don't know if you've written a letter recently, but in the same way, just start to finish, no divisions and all of that sort of stuff other than a paragraph. This came later, that some people came by, editors put in chapter and verse numbers just as addresses for us so that we could quickly get to a place. So I could say 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you'd know exactly where to go, all right? But this is just a letter that's flowing through. So the theme of this, this section that we're in just continues on as we get into chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Despite the fact that Paul is writing to people who have been twisting his words, these are people who have been making his life very difficult, what he's doing in response is working for their benefit. This is taking the high road. There's no doubt about it. So some of the backstory is that previously Paul had gotten word that things were not going so well in Corinth. So he made a trip to Corinth. This is before 2 Corinthians ever happened. So he makes a trip to Corinth to confront them. That's what chapter 2 and verse 1 talks about as this painful visit. And tough fluff always is. It's always painful to have to, to bring to someone the, the challenge of what is going on in their life that is being seen that they, they need to be confronted with. But that's something Paul was willing to do because he loved these people enough to not just let them continue to perpetuate their sin. And so he goes and he speaks to them. And now he's needing to make this decision, am I going to go make this double stop when I go to Achaia in Macedonia? Or should I change those plans? And he decides to change the plans. And he decides he's only going to make one of those visits. Instead of sailing over and then going up and back down, he's just going to go over basically the, the top of the Aegean Sea and, and make his way down through Macedonia. He's still going to see him, but not in the same fashion. The truth is that Paul knows that they have already received the truth that they need. He doesn't need to make another visit. Because the thing is, they hadn't changed any of their behavior. So what he, had, what he had confronted them with before is exactly the same circumstance that is going on there now. So another visit would just be another painful visit to go rehash the same old things. And they already knew what they needed to do. It was just a matter of them being willing to choose what they needed to choose to do, what they knew they needed to 
do. They don't need him to get in their faces again. They just needed to do what was right. This is such an important principle for all of us. You see, the responsibility for your spiritual growth rests on you. It's not your Bible study leader's responsibility. It's not your youth pastors. It's not your campus pastors. It's not the preacher's. We're all trying to work to present truth. We're trying to to motivate and encourage and inspire and help you to understand. But ultimately, if you're not the one pushing the ball down the field of your spiritual growth, that's on you. Because there's nothing that anybody else can do for you until you settle the matter of will in your heart, that this is something that you're going to do. It's your responsibility before God. His first question when you meet him is not going to be, now who is your pastor? It's going to be, what did you do with my son? Paul knows that if we were to show up in Corinth, or if he were to show up in Corinth, people might have felt some obligation to acquiesce to what he was there to do. If he's there in person, right? That's like, well, he's here. I guess we should probably do it. We should make him happy, even if it's not really what's going on in their heart. So he spares all of that. He says, just do what needs to be done. So he writes them instead of visiting them. Now, he knows that it's probably going to come at some personal cost. He would have been able to move himself forward personally with them more so if he'd shown up and and talked to them and visited with them and been face-to-face with them and showed how much he loved them and cared for them. It would have been to his personal benefit But he's not ultimately out for his personal benefit. He's out for the benefit of Christ, for their benefit as well, that they would grow in Christ. And so he's willing to make this sacrifice really for himself for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and to promote their benefit rather than his own. See, usually taking the high road means sacrifice. It means not defending yourself when somebody speaks poorly of you or retaliating when somebody does something against you. But instead, even in those circumstances, asking yourself, how can I bring benefit to the other? To look to the needs of others, not only to your own interests. Paul talks about elsewhere to the Philippians. It's not always easy to do that, is it? It's not always easy to do that, but it needs to be done. I read a quote from someone that said, I may be taking the high road on the outside, but inwardly I'm wishing I could punch you in the throat and slash your tires. Okay, that's not really the high road, okay? But it's going to require some real commitment, some real resolve to make this be what is true about us and how we live to take on this Paul priority that we see right here. But this is why we say that the high road is born out of strength. Left to ourselves, left to our own desires, that's weakness. Revenge is weakness. Getting even is weakness. It's giving in to our own sin nature. But there can be strength in weakness because we can take on Christ's nature instead. We can live what He's calling us to and what Paul is demonstrating for us here. But it's worth it because the low road is never going to take you to any essential destination. Never. It might feel good for the moment, 
but it's just going to mire you right where you are, right where you don't want to be. Friends, you can defeat this get-even retaliation culture that we live in by taking the high road and not always demanding that things would be your way. Being willing to say, I know that I could demand my right in this, but I know that this is going to be bringing a benefit here to this person to cause them to move closer to Christ, to cause a relationship to be mended instead of healed, to cause unity to exist instead of division. I'm going to take that road. It's the way of Christ. It's the way that Paul is calling us to here in this text and demonstrating for us by his own life. And we just need to ask ourselves, are we willing to walk it? Sometimes you're going to be not able to put all of the pieces of the puzzle in everybody's mind. They aren't going to see everything. And you're just going to have to know that between you and the Lord, you've done that which is right. And that's going to have to be good enough. And one day, that's something that God will reward you for. And in the meantime, you're going to be moving relationships toward peace, toward healing, and maybe in even greater ways than that between groups that are so divided today, exercising the power of unity, the power of bringing them together. If we would all take the high road, our community would be transformed, period, end of discussion. And we have the opportunity to take those steps. So wherever those opportunities arise for you, I pray that you be mindful of this passage of Paul's example, and that together we would take the high road. Heavenly Father, the low road is the easy one. It's the one that so often our first inclination moves toward. But Lord, I just pray that you would give us the humility, the strength, the trust in you to go the direction that you would call us to go, that we see the example of here we recognize ultimately that the prime example is Jesus himself who took the high road, who went to the cross for people who were mired in sin. He could have said, fine, if you want to, if you want to spit on me, if you want to crucify me, fine. You'll get your just desserts. Hmm. Never said it. Instead extended mercy in grace where it wasn't deserved. And we have the opportunity to do the same thing and demonstrate that we've been impacted by the example of Christ. So Lord, give us the courage to be these people, to walking this way, of transforming our lives and those around us by taking the high road, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.